you can go ahead and have a seat. Good morning, and again, welcome to Church of the Cross. My name is Peter. I'm one of the priests here. I was going to commend us all for doing so well with the new liturgy right up until that last <laughs> moment where uh, the bulletin and the screen didn't quite match. Like I said, we have several weeks to perfect it. We are just over one week into the new year, 2022. And already, with the rise of the Omicron variant, or as maybe you saw this morning, Delta Cron, plans and lives have been upended. What might the next 51 weeks hold? We hesitate to ask. The start of a new year is, of course, a, great time, a time of great promise, but also of great uncertainty, perhaps especially so in these times. We are living in what the writer and analyst N.S. Lyons has termed the upheaval. That's the name of his Substack newsletter. Whether it is technological innovation or geopolitical realignment or ideological revolution, it seems we live in particularly uncertain times. I wonder, can you feel it? To make things a little more personal or concrete, perhaps you have plans or goals for the year ahead career goals or financial plans, an upcoming trip, decisions about your children's schooling, whatever the case may be, I wonder how settled and certain you feel when it comes to such goals and plans. My guess is that all of us at some level feel some unsettledness, uncertainty regarding these things. In this way, I suspect we may share something in common with Jesus, at the moment we read in our gospel passage this morning. If you were around at the time, you'll recognize this reading as one we preached from during Advent, except for the final few verses that relate the story of Jesus' baptism, the central occasion of our worship today in the church calendar. And what I think might resonate with us is what Jesus may have been experiencing in the moment of his baptism. This is, according to the four gospel writers, the moment that Jesus' public ministry begins. Up to this moment, Jesus had lived a fairly private, common, first century life. But in this moment, he goes public, we might say. The gospels only reveal information about Jesus' interior life at a, a few key moments. But as one who is fully human, I think we can assume that there may have been a certain level of trepidation, of uncertainty for him in this moment. In the controversial book and film, The Last Temptation of Christ, Jesus is depicted as being tempted toward a quiet, ordinary life, one that he would have experienced up until his baptism to some degree. But in this moment, that path is removed. The opportunity for such a life is taken away. Jesus here begins this unique, uncertain, and costly journey. The start of this new year, perhaps we can identify with that. The baptism of Jesus is a mysterious kind of moment. Other than this one comment that Jesus makes to John the Baptist in Matthew's telling of the story, that the baptism is to fulfill all righteousness, the Gospels do not in an overt way offer an explanation for Jesus' baptism. What they do describe together, however, is its effect, its result. The heavens are opened, Luke describes. The, the Holy Spirit descends and a voice is heard. You are my son, 
whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. There are a number of notable elements there, but let's focus right now on the timing of the statement made by this voice. This declaration of love, of delight, of affirmation, we might understandably expect to come at the end of Jesus' ministry. After his various miracles and teaching, after his sacrificial death and glorious resurrection, this phrase then would be the equivalent of a, a divine gold star. A plus, that'll do. With our performance-oriented mindset, with an emphasis in our culture on productivity, we would get the logic of such a thing, a reward for a job well done. The function of this phrase, however, as Luke describes it, is different. It comes at the very beginning of Jesus' public ministry, as he sets out on this difficult, costly journey, before the service, before the ministry, before his death. Our psalm this morning, Psalm 89, points us also toward Jesus. The verses we prayed together speak of David, Jesus' ancestor, as God's servant, anointed by God. To whom, to whose family, dominion over the earth shall be given, through whom God's mercy will be extended, his covenant will be realized. In verse 21, God declares of this servant, verse 21 in Psalm 89, my hand will hold him fast, my arm shall strengthen him. That word translated hold fast is a metaphor for a house founded on solid pillars, right? Fixed and secure, a house that you can entrust yourself to by entering into, by inhabiting. The same word is used elsewhere to describe the stars and planets fixed in the heavens, fixed in such a way that you can chart your course by them. The earth itself elsewhere is described as a solid place held fast. And even future events are described as held fast by God, such as they will surely come to pass. The idea is, is that the servant here in Psalm 89, by God's hand, will not be moved, but will be preserved, will endure, come what may. I think this is how the words that Jesus hears at his baptism function. Not as this crowning capstone, but as this establishing, solidifying, strengthening affirmation. As Jesus sets out into public ministry, into this costly thing, into pouring himself out for our healing and salvation, he does so firm, held fast in the knowledge of the Father's love, secure in the awareness of God's delight. You are my son. You are beloved. You make me happy before anything has been done. And part of the joy of this day in the church calendar, the celebration of the baptism of our Lord, is that this same statement, this same affirmation, is spoken over you. Over you who are baptized in Christ. At the start of a new year, in the midst of a time of upheaval, facing difficulty and uncertainty. The Lord's word to you is, you are my daughter. You are my son. You are beloved. Not because of what you might accomplish. Not because of all that you might do. But on account of God's grace, the delight of his son, the delight he has for his son, for Jesus, 
through faith has been applied to you, spoken over you. And the result for us is the same. You are fixed. You are established in your baptism. You can be strengthened. By the knowledge of God's love, you can now chart your course. You are held fast. All kinds of things will happen to you this year. We will encounter difficulty. We will encounter suffering. And there are all kinds of things, great and small, that you and I must faithfully do in the year to come. But we can enter into such things. We can encounter them as ones, as a people who are firmly established in this fact, the fact of the Father's love for us. And what we see in the unfolding of Luke's gospel is that this experience, the baptism of Jesus, propels him out into a ministry of sacrificial love. The heavens open, the spirit descends, the voice is heard, and in the next chapter, Luke 4, Jesus, full of the spirit, is led into the wilderness, into temptation. And rooted in the knowledge of the Father's love, he endures Satan's attack. And from there, he moves forward, energized, to fulfill what we read in Isaiah, proclaiming good news to the poor, setting captives free, empowered to preach, to teach, to heal. He's so firmly fixed, so held fast, he's able to go and endure the cross, to say this full and complete yes to all that the Father calls upon him. He's unmoved through it all. He's held fast through it all. This is the logic of your baptism too. By the power of God, you've been made a child, a beloved son, a beloved daughter, filled by the Spirit, so that you can now, in this season, at this time, be propelled out in mission, in service, in sacrificial love, to do the things God has called you to, held fast, whatever might come. I follow on Twitter, that's kind of a weird aside, but I do follow someone on Twitter. I follow on Twitter this kind of pugnacious theologian named Anthony Bradley in New York City. He tweets about things, a lot of things. He's a Presbyterian about like things I don't totally know the context and understand and things I'm like, oh, I have to think about that. But one of my favorite things about Dr. Bradley's posts is that he as a single man is passionate about fatherhood and the raising of children and masculinity. And he regularly emphasizes the way that for many men, many men of my generation and maybe preceding generations especially, there is a sense that fathers needed to be in some way hard on their children to kind of like withhold affirmation, such that withhold approval, such that they would like inspire their children to greatness, to earn that approval. And what Bradley, who also has a sociological degree, argues time and again and posts about is that fathers can now, by the expression of pride, of affirmation and delight, contribute to their children's health, contribute to their capacity to be fruitful and effective in the world. He suggests time and again that providing this baseline of worthiness and dignity for their children, this message of, I delight in you, you are loved by me, they can propel their children forward in greatness. This same logic is what we see at work in our gospel reading. Jesus receives the affirmation of the Father and held fast in that, then goes out, secure in that love, to preach, to heal, to teach, 
to die in faithfulness. So just into this new year, let us be reminded that the same word, the same assurance, this same fixedness is there for us. Those who share in Christ's baptism begin 2022 not with this whole list of things to do in order to measure up, but begin established, held fast in the love of God the Father. And notice Jesus is not simply left with the memory of this moment. It's not like the father says one time to their child, I love you, and then it's like, good to go, get out there. Jesus is anointed in the words of our psalm, anointed by the spirit, by the spirit of love. He goes forth in the presence of the father's love within, upon him, with him. And through the whole of Luke's story, it's the spirit who leads, who strengthens Jesus to serve, to minister. Many of you will know this, but I grew up in like the Pentecostal tradition, the Pentecostal tradition of the church. And a significant part of my teenage and young adult years involved what we might call like charismatic experiences, speaking in tongues, people receiving and sharing visions, receiving and sharing different words of the Lord for one another. And like these remain a part of the Spirit's work among his people, right? Would they continue and increase among us? If I were to boil down, though, the Spirit's work in my life during this period of time, I would say that the Spirit's work was fundamentally about working in me the experience of being seen, known, and loved by God. The Spirit's work was confirming, establishing in me this like insecure 15-year-old, 16-year-old, the awareness of what it was, what was true for me through my baptism, right? Confirming in me the love of God through Jesus in my life. Jesus is not sent out with merely the recollection of the Father's love, right? But he's sent by the Spirit in this ongoing experiential awareness of God's love. We too are sent out beginning this year with the same Spirit, the love of the Father for the Son, the love of the Father for his children. That is what you have been baptized into, baptized into Trinitarian reality, immersed in the love of God, the life, the love that God shares among himself. So you don't enter into the uncertainty of this coming year with merely the declaration of God's love. But you have the spirit, the spirit of love with you. It rests upon you. The spirit of the Father's love is in you. You cannot get closer than in. So I wonder at the start of this year, is your sense of the Father's love weak? Is it anemic? Do you find yourself easily buffeted, questioning the reality of God's love for you based on the circumstances around you? My encouragement to you is to call upon the Spirit that is yours, that is with you, that is in you. Ask Him, call upon the Spirit that you might grow in the awareness of God's love for you. And we can ask in the hope, in the expectation that this year would be a year where we would collectively, individually grow in the experiential awareness of God's love, such that we would be sustained, encouraged in all that we might face, such that we might increase in our faithfulness, our fruitfulness. Call upon the Spirit that is yours. 
You're not left with this declaration alone. God has given you his presence. Call upon the Spirit. So what we've talked about is that at the beginning of this year, we must be reminded, reminded of the truth that we are held fast in the love of God. And we too, my encouragement too, would be this year, call upon the Spirit. Call upon the Holy Spirit to enliven your heart such that you would know of his love, that you would in this deep bodily way experience the truth of his love. And just in closing, I want to say a word about hope. Hope in uncertain and even trying times. What is fixed and established in Jesus is not simply about himself as this single individual. Nor is it simply about, what, about those who are in Christ in like the privacy of our own lives. The scale of what occurs, what's established in Jesus' baptism is in fact global, is cosmic. Luke writes that in this moment, the heavens are opened. And in a very real way, through Jesus, the heavens remain open. The dividing line between earth and heaven is rendered porous. And the kingdom of heaven has begun to saturate the earth. This is what our reading this morning from Isaiah highlights, hints at. Here is my servant in whom I delight. I'll put my spirit on him. And he'll bring justice to the nations. What is begun, what is held fast in Jesus' baptism involves the reordering of all creation according to God's pleasure, according to God's good purposes. In light of everything we experience, all that we face, that can sometimes feel like too much to believe. In the face of our uncertainties, the reversals that we face, the, the sheer resilience of sin and evil in us and in the world it can feel like a fairy tale, like very, very far off. In our bedroom at home, Shannon and I have the print of this painting by Jim Janknett. He's a local artist here in Austin. We have a slide of it. I think I put it in the wrong place. For those of you online, you might have to scroll back or look here. But this, this painting is titled, All Things New. And it's a reminder for me of what has been fixed and established in Jesus. It's a reminder of the sure, the certain end to which all of creation is headed. Our family loves this painting for all kinds of reasons. But there's two I just want to highlight as we close. First is this swirl of new creation that dominates the painting. There are, among other things, a guitar, a grill, a lawnmower, blue bonnets and tulips, a saxophone. These everyday items are, for me, a reminder of the absolute delight of what is coming in God's kingdom. Simple graces that we already enjoy, perfected in his rule and reign. Sometimes when we talk about the certain end that Jesus is bringing all creation toward, the, the new heavens, the new earth, the kingdom of righteousness, of justice and peace, we might emphasize like the glory, the grandeur. And the whole thing can feel a little bit abstract, I think. But Janknick's painting, I think, is a reminder that what is established in Jesus, the end to which he is bringing all things, is a delight for human beings. What is fixed for you and I in Christ are pleasures evermore. And at the start of this new year, that is what is in store for us 
Whatever comes this year, nothing changes this outcome. The second thing I want to highlight is the stuff at the very bottom. I don't know how well you can see it, but at the very bottom, under Jesus' feet, Jenkman has put these skulls, these crossbones. And these clearly seem to symbolize the brokenness and evil of creation, in creation. In the end, it's all under Jesus' feet. Your self-destructive habits, your sin, they are there. Systemic injustice and white supremacy, they are there. Powers and principalities of this world that exploit people and mar God's creation, that seem so intractable, they're all there, judged, held to account, and undone. In Jesus, God's anointed servant, this conclusion is fixed, established, absolute. I have no idea what the next 51 weeks of this year would hold for you, for your cares, and for your concerns. We live in a time of upheaval. But what is established, what you can count upon, is that this outcome will not be frustrated. Whatever reversals you face, whatever resilient sin or struggle in your life, whatever intractable circumstance in the world, real suffering, real sorrow, is not final. What is ultimately fixed and established is the completion of God's purposes in Jesus, purposes of joy and delight. That is where our ultimate happiness resides. And what I love about this painting is subtle, but I love how small the skulls, the crossbones are in proportion to the new heavens, the new earth that is coming. This proportion, it seems to me, is true. So at the start of this year, let us fix our gaze here on the love of God and his delight in those who are in Christ. Would the Spirit make that our, our, our focus? Would the Spirit make that our experience? And let us set our very real sufferings, our challenges and struggles, in the context of Jesus' established victory. Let us set them in proportion to the joy set before us, that we might now today be held fast and rejoice in what God has done and will surely do. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Before we move to the creed, let me just pray for us. Gracious God, for those of us in this room and for those of us online at home, I'm aware that what we sang just a few moments ago, that song Waymaker, that, that might be true, that we don't feel, we don't see you at work at the start of this new year. I know that for some of us, we come and perhaps our sense of God's love, our, our sense of trust in the Lord is hanging by a thread. So we ask, Holy Spirit, breath of God, spirit of love, that you would breathe upon us, O Lord. Would you confirm in this room, would you confirm for those of us online, in every heart, O Lord, the truth of your love for us, the truth of these words spoken over Christ and over us. This is my son. This is my daughter.
whom I love, with you, with you, Sarah, with you, Jonathan, with you, Kennedy, with you, Paul, with you, Noah, with you, Andrew, with you, Stephanie, with you, Shannon, with you, the Lord is well pleased. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.